this week on Dig Me Out. I think that is it. But is yeah. that that's what he wrote? That's what he wrote. Oh my lord! How do you get that gig? Tim and Jay review subliminal plastic motives by self. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Minichi, and joining me for episode 190, season four, as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, today is the day that we review a band that I have to criticize, although I will share later that the actual lead singer shares the same criticism. Uh, called Self, which if you Google Self, <laughs> kind of have a hard time finding the band. Mm, yeah, the lead singer and pretty much the the multi instrumentalist who is the entire band, his name is uh, Matt Mahaffey. I, re- I read an interview with him on uh, the Vice has a, a music section called Noisy, and they did an interview uh, when their new EP came out this year. Matt was asked about, you know, the band's kind of off and on in, in terms of their pr- pr- production over the years. And they asked, you know, why do you just put out a single every other year or every year? And he said, um, this is a quote from the interview. He said, I've been doing singles here and there simply because these rappers keep coming out and calling themselves self, like one year at the very least. So I would put a single out just to say, look, we've got a release. I got a lot of rappers I guess a lot of rappers don't Google it to see if someone is using the name. I'm just tired of, <laughs> I'm just tired of paying lawyers to send cease and desists out. So there you go. That's amazing. I've noticed that on uh, Spotify with some other bands. One that comes to mind is a band called DAD that I like a lot. They're from Denmark. <clears throat> Their stuff is not always easy to find, and you know, of course, there's a hip hop artist called DAD now. Like some, it's not even like, it's like some kind of local or small time thing. So half of the records on Spotify for DAD are this hip hop artist, and the other half are the are the band from the, I mean they started like in the mid '80s from Denmark called DAD, mm-hmm. and it's it's <laughs> it can be really confusing when you go in, like for them I hadn't listened to them in, in like a decade, so I was going through and like oh you know trying to find some of the the stuff I had missed, and you're like wait which. Is this you have to judge by the album cover, right? Or the album title. You're like, mm, is this likely the bad hip hop artist or the band from Denmark? I don't know. Or maybe they just changed their sound. <laughs> Perhaps. So, were you familiar with the band Self, Jay? Yeah. Oh well. I mean, I I, I recognize the name. I recognize like the logo. Um, the album cover looks familiar, but. Other than that, I wasn't, and I was vaguely, I guess I was vaguely familiar with what they probably sounded like. I don't know if does that make sense. Like mm-hmm. I, I'd never heard them, but I'd heard them described and from people or from, you know, various magazines or what have you. Right. So I had a, a, some kind of sense of, you know, what they maybe sounded like. Uh, but other than that, no, I hadn't really listened to them. I'm in sort of the same boat. I, I had recognized the name. And I know I had seen like album covers, but I couldn't tell you uh, a song. Now, when I heard the song Canon from this album that we're going to review, which is called um, Subliminal Plastic Motives, 
I went, oh, this sounds really familiar. So I might have heard that single or seen the video maybe uh, if it was on MTV. But I, I couldn't tell you if, if I'd heard that before, I wouldn't have been able to say, oh, that's self. I would have just guessed it was some alternative rock song from the 90s that I, I couldn't place. So let's talk about the history of self. History of the band. So self began uh, with founders Matt and Mike Mahaffey, brothers, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, They started recording when they were kids in the early 90s. They had played with some other groups. So as I mentioned earlier, Matt Mahaffey, or Mahaffey, is the primary performer of all the instruments and vocals on the studio albums. And then there's like a live band, which includes his brother. They released their debut record, which is the one we're reviewing, Subliminal Plastic Motives, in 1995 on Sponge Bath Records. It was a label that the uh, the two brothers founded. Um, at the time, it was Matt on vocals and guitar, Mike on lead guitar, Tim Nobles on bass, Chris James on keyboards and samplers, and Jason Rawlings on drums. They followed up that uh, uh, debut record with a sophomore album the following year called The Half-Baked Serenade, and that was only available through mail order. It was not a uh, record that was in the stores. And then in 1997, they released another album, called Feels Like Breaking Shit, and that was only released on the internet. So they were exploring alternative distribution methods in the early, or in the in the mid-90s, including, as far as I can tell, a pretty early internet release in 1997. I can't think of a lot of bands that were doing that in terms of releasing their album exclusively uh, for free on the internet. In 1998, they released an EP called Brunch, and then an album called Breakfast with girls, um, both uh, the both were released on Sponge Bath, and then they were co-released by DreamWorks Records in nineteen ninety. Or excuse me, in, in two thousand, they released the album Gizmodry, which is a album created entirely with children's toy instruments. Now, I was interested, Jay, as a side note, to check out what that record sounded like. I'm like, oh, this has got to sound bizarre, Um, you know, just playing children's instruments. But they actually, like, put distortion on things and and twisted them. And it's kind of cool sounding. Um, If anybody wants to check out the record, I would suggest checking out. They do a cover of the Doobie Brothers' What a Fool Believes. And it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to give away my 
feelings on the band, but it's it's a pretty interesting cover. I'll just put it that way. Hmm. Um, and then they released in 2002 additional internet only albums. One called Self Goes Shopping, and then the other one called Selfafornia, like California, or Selfafornia. Um, and then it was a five-year break, uh, and in 2005, they released another new album on the internet for free called Porno, Mint, and Grime, which were demos recorded between 2001 and 2004. Um, in 2000, uh, they were going to put out an album called Ornament and Crime, uh, for DreamWorks, but when DreamWorks was required by Universal Music, the album was shelved. The following year, in 2005, uh, Matt's brother Mike passed away in his sleep in May of that year, and the band went on hiatus until 2010, when there was a single released, and then also in 2011. And then in July of 2014... They released a six-song EP, Super Flake Nice, Super Fake Nice, um, and that has been the most recent release. And then, so the the reason why I picked them was because a few people had mentioned about the band. You know, you should check out Self, and I'd put it on the list of possible things that we would get to over the years. And I happened to turn on Jimmy Kimmel because um, I record uh, whenever there's a band on that I'm interested in. And I saw that Self was listed, and I was like, "Huh." So I recorded that episode, and I was like, "Oh, they have a new episode. They have a new release out." So it was the hip hop group. No, it was not. It was the <laughs> uh, it was the actual band. Oh, that's because they protected their copyright. They did protect their copyright. So, so two interesting things to note. Um, so I mentioned that uh, Matt Mahaffey is the is basically the entire band in terms of songwriting and, and in the studio. He has a pretty big career as a producer um, for for rock bands and such, but also he is a he writes the music for children's television shows. So if you've ever seen, say, Henry Hugglemonster, I don't know if you're familiar with that, Jay. Yep. Um, he writes all the music for that. No kidding. Yeah, and he goes into pretty in in the Vice interview for at, at the Noisy site. He goes into depth how that's written, and it's pretty interesting. That he'll like he'll basically be sent two eleven minute episodes because they do them like two at a time per half hour, and mm-hmm. they'll say we'll need we need, here's the episodes we need music tomorrow, and he will Skype with the people who create the show, mm-hmm. and he lives in you know Tennessee and he works his home studio, and he'll work for like fifteen hours straight and write all the music and then send it in and you know two months later that episode airs. Wow. So. And then he also wrote the jingle for Expedia.com. Hmm. How's that go? It's got, I think it's like uh, Expedia.com. Is that how it goes? <laughs> I think that is it, but is yeah. that, that's what he wrote? That's what he wrote. Oh, my Lord. How do you get that gig? Well, it's like five notes. It is, but he's done a lot of production work, so I guess. Yeah. And I'm sure that the, uh, me mentioning Speedy and Hug- Henry Hugglemaster are probably just the tip of the iceberg yeah. in terms of his production work. So we did get some Facebook feedback on this record. Uh, Adam Rogan says, great timing since they just released a new EP. Believe it or not, Adam, we uh, we noticed. That's why we got to this. Uh, this is one of my very favorite 90s albums. It kind of sounds like a mix of Weezer and Beck. Canon and Solo both got decent amounts of radio play here, 
Very catchy songs with great production. And then Joey Haney says, Great band, and yes, that new EP is amazing. Uh, So I want to mention, of course, if you want to request an album for us to review, visit request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Jay, let's talk about subliminal plastic motives. Uh, We were both familiar with the logo and the name, but not the actual music. Yeah. So let's talk about what we liked and what we did not like about this record. Uh, I'm going to start because I have a couple notes, and then I want to I want to see if you're in the same ballpark as I am. Light it up. Okay. So what I liked, I really like what Matt does as a producer. I think this is a pretty pretty special record in terms of its production. Uh, for 1995, I'm thinking, you know, the the Weezer Beck comparison is is pretty spot on. It's got the power pop, big guitar of Weezer, especially in songs like Cannon and Boratine and some other ones, Miss the Friction. But then it has this weirdness, this incorporation of so many different instruments and uh, electronics and stuff, and it has this Beck Odelay kind of sound before Beck's Odelay came out, which wouldn't come out for a little before that. Uh, But then it introduces a lot of other really interesting influences. I hear Jellyfish. I hear Red Cross. I hear Ben Folds. I hear Blink of the Star. I hear ELO. I mean, this is a band that, or, or Matt's a songwriter, that incorporates a lot of different ideas. And sometimes that's to the detriment of the song because it gets so packed full of ideas that it almost loses its way. But I was never bored by this record. I was confused and I was a little bit annoyed at times, but it kept me interested in wanting to hear it and wanting to hear it in different ways, whether it was because I was listening to it in the car. It sounds good. When you throw the headphones on, you hear a whole nother world with this record. There's stuff bouncing around from left to right in the earphones and back and forth. There's little hidden like instruments that are just sort of trickling in here and there uh, and you know buried in the one of the channels and there's a lot of cool stuff that's going on. But at the core of it is a lot of really good songwriting in terms of hooks, layered harmonies, vocals that are on that line of sometimes being witty and funny and sometimes crossing over in a little cringeworthy as a little bit mm, that's a little that's a little weird and and annoying Mm. but overall i i think what i really enjoyed the most is just that this record sounds unique to me and i think it's because of the production i think it's because of his songwriting so tell me what you like yeah it's it's odd in that the production is fantastic and the songwriting is fantastic but uh, sometimes he may not be his best producer for his own music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think the best example of that is Marathon Shirt, mm-hmm. which I think buried in there is a fantastic hooky song. But there's so much in the way of it. Um, that's a song that's got, I'll just describe it from from bottom up. It's this very strange sub bass sound. Um I guess maybe like you would use on a hip hop song. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't know if it's keyboard or fretless bass or how do they make it, but it, you know it's a very very low bass sound. P- 
piccolo snare, and then it's got all of this extra per, per, um, percussion mixed in. Like, I don't know what it is, but I don't know if it's bottles or what, what the hell it is or some kind of, I don't know what, but all this other production, uh, percussion mixed in. And it's very loud in the mix. It kind of it can be very easy to um, discount a song based on that because you get so distracted by the sound of those elements. But underneath it, there's all of this. There, there's a great hook. Um, the keep on wearing my marathon shirt. There's you know a good chord progression and a good melody, and it's the the delivery is really good vocally. And there's this really cool like weird piano lines mixed in there, and these weird jazzy breaks but Mm -hmm. i find when that song in particular is is an example i just find that there's a little too much distracting from the point of the song getting in the way it's a it's a little bit of maybe the production side of him taking over um and and forgetting the song part um luckily the record isn't this isn't the case with the whole record you know i think in a lot of cases he does um balance the two you know, pretty well. Um, there are some songs that are pretty stripped down. Like, um, I think, uh, M- miss the friction is one that's, um, pretty, pretty simple. It's almost mm-hmm. like, a has a cheap trick kind of vibe to it. Um, production standpoint, uh, you know, it's just a straight up guitar or bass drum thing. Um, so, th- so he can't simplify things. So it's not like every song is like overwrought and all this production stuff. Um, I, I think my favorite points in the record are when he uh, is able to marry the two together so that he can have um, kind of this power pop song that has these very interesting breaks of either piano or keyboard or drum machine or uh, vocal harmony um, and just and, and, and just kind of put his own stamp on things so a song like Boratine is a great example of that sophomore jinx is a good example of that mother nature's fault is an example of that where it uh, at the heart of it it's 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 pretty much power pop but he brings this whole other layer of just interest to it that elevates it to something um pretty special and i think to your point earlier was um it's always interesting. It may not always be, it may not always float my boat or be my thing or, but I'm always intrigued to keep listening to the song and pull back the layers and, and see what's going to happen. Even on some of the songs that are a little longer, mm-hmm. like sophomore jinx is like five over five minutes long. Yeah. And for the most part, it's, it's pretty interesting for the whole five minutes, you know, um, which, if you listen to the show, you know that 
we're usually pretty critical of songs that get over the uh, three and a half to four minute mark. And when he does, he's able to do it in a way that uh, really keeps your interest, which is admirable. Yeah, and I think that what I heard with Marathon Shirt was his take on almost trip hop. Like I mm. could have heard Tricky uh, yeah. over top of what he over top of that intro part, or you know the, the the basic part of it when you when it's introduced at the beginning of the song with you're mentioning with like the bottles and the and the production. Like it, it had that element to it. And you know '95, this is right prime trip hop. Uh, time for like massive attack and tricky and portishead and and those sorts of bands uh sophomore jinx that's one of my favorite songs on the record again it's got this like cool element to it that is drawing from hip-hop and electronic artists uh, but he's able to do it in a way that if you're into the heavier stuff on the record the boratines and the mother nature's fault canon those sorts of bands um, it doesn't feel like that big of a leap because he's able to integrate sort of odd breakdowns and now I, I, on Marathon Shirt I didn't particularly care for those like jazzy breakdown parts I thought they were a little jarring mm. um, but I think he does that well where he in other parts where he introduces it as more like a subtly subtle melody part as opposed to completely rearranging the song to fit into this like weird uh, jazz part. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the songs that really works in terms of the weirdness is uh, Lucid Ann because he takes like a very when you listen to that drum beat you're like oh I've heard that drum beat on about a billion 90 songs it sounds like the the drum beat on like what's that uh, not Sugar Ray uh, Everlast it has like that yeah but he cuts off the last part of the beat yeah. and turns it into yeah. an odd time signature yeah. That's kind of brilliant because he's taking something you know and then twisting it to make it more more complicated. Yeah, it saves the song for me. Yeah, because uh, that and that was a song where uh, first couple of listens. I mean, the drum sound, the the drum loop is really loud, um, so you're confronted with it. And um, I appreciated right away that he was playing with you know the time signature with it, which was unexpected. 
but it made it interesting. So there's even some starts and stops and just accents and things that happen that are really interesting and cool. Um, the more I dug into that, though, that was another song where, like, Marathon Shirt, where I felt like buried in there is a lot of really cool melodies. There's a cool chord pattern in there that you just get lost because that drum loop is so loud. Um, it's so much, it's so in your face that the rest of the song, it, it gets hidden. It, it kind of reminded me of, um, well, like Everlast is a good example, or was it Primitive Radio Gods? Remember that yeah, song? Yeah, that standing on the corner. Right. And, and in those songs, there's there's really nothing to those songs. You right. I mean, the, there, there's nothing melodically interesting about them. So the drum, that drum loop's pretty important to those songs. This is a case where there is a lot of really cool stuff going on, but it's it's getting overshadowed by this really loud drum loop. And I just wish that um, in the cases of those two songs, you could kind of go back and just remix them and pull, pull, pull forward, not even like change the instrumentation or anything, but just remix them so that you pulled forward some of the melodic aspects of the, of the song and the chords and push back some of the progression and, and drum stuff. Well, I know that they re- they re-released this record. Um, it had been out of print for a long time, and Big Fat Possum Records put out a, a vinyl reissue this year. And he talked about in the interview not being happy with the original sound of the record, and they went back and remastered. Hmm. So I don't know if we're hearing the original. And I don't know if they did any remixing in terms of how stuff was mixed. Um, but I imagine there's some of these songs sound a little bit different, uh, having gone through a remaster and possible remix for mm. the vinyl release. Sure. In terms of what didn't work, um, I want to point out one particular song, which is Big Important Nothing. Because I think that when he's incorporating elements of hip-hop and electronic music in the music it works but when i think he actually tries to start rapping (laughs) that's where i kind of draw the line yeah and that's where the song that he does example too yeah although it didn't bother me as as much on solo because it kind of reminded me of like more of like a weezer delivery yeah yeah Yeah, i was trying to think of the of the right comparison or or not a surf Mm-hmm. Uh, you know those sorts of bands, but you utilizing that sort of spoken, it didn't sound as as much of like trying to emulate hip hop as being yeah. important. Nothing did. How, what are your feelings on those on those songs? I agree. It made me think of a lot of really personally annoying bands from the '90s where there seemed to be this I don't know rush of 
alternative rap stuff. Like I'm thinking of like Fun Loving Criminals. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, like Nausea, Everlast, and just all that like white alternative rap stuff that um, that just it reminded me of that those types of bands, and um, I didn't particularly like that memory. <laughs> No, I curled up. I curled up in a ball in the corner. It's it's um, yeah. It sounds very inauthentic. And I just felt like uh, the middle of the well, not even the middle. So songs four through six, mm-hmm. um, it, it started with so low and just that hip hop feel, both from the delivery but also the production, um, introducing that sub bass sound and that piccolo snare and stuff. It started to um, make me confused on what this band was about. Because when it kicks, it starts off. I was really shocked at how heavy it is. Um, you know, the, the guitar and Boratine is like monstrous. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's really crunchy and really heavy. Um, and they do a lot of minor stuff, you know, in those heavy chords in some of the songs. So I had no idea this band was going to be that heavy. And then we get to that this stretch of songs in the middle there, and I'm like, okay, are they like soul coughing or like what is going on here? Like with this. Mm-hmm this weird hip hop jazzy thing going on. <laughs> and then they bust out of it, you know, Cannon comes back and it sounds like Nirvana and miss the fi- friction sounds like cheap trick. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is the band that the album started with. And then for the most part, the end of the record is, is uh, pretty cohesive in that sound. And then you get to big important nothing and you're back to the jazzy piano hip hop thing. And like, what in the hell? <laughs> so, there's there's these little moments where they definitely show a different side of themselves. It's a little bit confusing to me, and mm-hmm. I'll give them credit that they kept my interest through it. Because a lot of bands that would make that shift, I would just skip the song. Um, it, I didn't go that far. I definitely wanted to hear just because I at that point had been trained to know that okay, this song might start off this way, but in half a second it could shift on a dime and be something totally different so i'm gonna i'm gonna hang tight here and see what happens and even within those tunes there's some nice moments and any any you know we can kind of save it but uh they're definitely a little bit uh i don't know a little bit of an identity crisis going on there with a couple of tunes i really feel like i'm not gonna say that this out this album has a weird thing going on where it's because of the production it doesn't sound dated but because of the production, it sounds dated. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it sounds crisp and clean. And, like, there's no... It's not a tin can from the early 90s, you know, shoegaze sound. And it's not, like, overly this or overly that. It sounds like it could have been made today on somebody's, you know, Pro Tools. And, you know, done all these snippets here and there with all these different parts. But at the same time, like, there's so many stuff things that are, like, so 90s about it. That it the production of it makes it sound it's like a weird conundrum going on with this record, where mm-hmm. I can't help but like think of Beck and Jellyfish and Weezer when I hear this record. But at the same time, it's like I don't think there's a band capable of of making this music today. Like this is so diverse and so challenging and so difficult. But also, you know, other than other really other than Beck, nobody would attempt to make something this varied in its styles and, and colors. And yeah. Whatnot. No, no, it's very ambitious. And you would yeah. think with, with the, the technology we have, um, and the accessibility of it now that there'd be a billion artists sound like this, you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. do it yourself. Just spending all 
all, all day in their home studio chopping things up and playing with different sounds and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but it's not really happening. It's like, <laughs> it's almost the opposite. Like everybody just goes for, I don't know, pretty straightforward, but overproduced music now. And um, it's interesting. I mean, he's way ahead of his time. I would say that. Absolutely. So let's talk about our overall ratings in terms of worthy album, better EP, or decent single. Jay, Jay, where do you fall on that particular scale for this record? I, I think it's a worthy album. I mean, even though there's some missteps here, there's, to my count, you know, three to four. Um, even those missteps are not uh, complete disasters. That they're still worth a listen. Um, and at that point, you're still caught uh, eight songs or so um, that are really solid. And it's it's a record that keeps keeps getting better and more interesting the more you listen to it. So I definitely think it's something uh, you want to listen to in it, in the entirety from start to finish when you when you listen to it and it it holds together as a as a true I think full length record. I agree with you. I think if you only listen to say one or two songs, you're not going to get the whole record. You're not going to understand what's going mm-hmm. on throughout this whole record. This is definitely one you have to consume the whole thing, and you probably need to do it a couple times. Not that it's inaccessible, like a you know, it's not some progressive rock record that's complicated and you can't get your mm-hmm. head. I mean, this is incredibly catchy music. It's just what's going on around it is so intricate in many ways that you have to kind of redigest it each time and focus on different aspects of it to to get the whole thing i'm with you i think it's a worthy record and i think it's um, probably in the in the for me the nine to ten range in terms of the songs that i like there's really only a couple that i I didn't particularly care for so uh this is a a cool find for us uh self's uh debut record from 1995 subliminal plastic motives getting two worthy records or worthy albums from us all right well all right well all right (laughs) got a little got a little uh, matthew mcconaughey there so if you would like what you heard please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at itunes we greatly appreciate it and if you have an album that you would like us to review head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and we shall review it just uh, you know, read the page and then uh, figure out how to get that suggestion to us. Want to thank everybody for listening, and uh, wherever you're listening to us, whether it's on uh, Radio IO or Stitcher or whatnot, be sure to hit up digmeoutpodcast.com. Uh, every day we are posting stuff, upcoming uh, episodes, videos, news, uh, all that kind of good stuff. And next week, we continue the down the path of reviewing artists who have new releases out. Uh, Ryan Adams has a new album coming out. So we're going to go back to where Ryan Adams started, and we're going to review the first Whiskey Town record from uh, the mid-'90s. And uh, we're going to be heading into what they call alt-country territory, Jay, which we've we've touched on briefly with... An Uncle Tupelo record and a and a Jayhawks record, although that's probably the least alt country of all the Jayhawks records. 
far as I'm concerned. Although smiles, smile gets away from it too. But we're gonna go into the uh, the archives of Mr. Ryan Adams, who has a pretty big archive. Yeah, we need to do. We need to take a break from the uh, power pop. I'm just thinking yep. about that going into this review that. People are probably sick of us here, sick of us saying that word. Oh, well, we're going to be getting away from it because the next couple episodes, we're not going to be anywhere near Power Pop. All right. I I purposely, I looked at what we were doing and I was like, you know what? I've got some open spaces here. I'm going to pick some stuff that's way outside of the Power Pop and and just in rock element. Still, still touches on the alternative, you know, sounds that we're used to, but get outside of that normal safe territory for us and push us in a little bit. different directions so i think people will be interested in some of the records that we're doing we're, we're branching out a little bit and uh, of course if they would like us to branch out some more make a suggestion and we'll we'll take it under advisement damn it yeah so for jay i'm tim we're done we're out we'll be back next week with another episode dig me out wave to your river as i'm flying over Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.